All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 15 again tonight as we finish this chapter. I appreciate Brother Jason and Miss Rebecca doing that on the last minute. I had that on my song on my heart, that song, and I was going to close with the words of it. And uh, Miss Connie reminded me that Jason and Rebecca sang it. I would have never remembered that, but she did. Amen. And uh, it's a great song. You know, I love songs with a message, don't you? Amen. These little 7-Eleven songs. Seven words repeated 11 times. The smoke coming up to the ceiling and chanting and raving. That ain't my, that's not my cup of tea. It's messages like that and the one that Brother Hayden sang. Uh, something with some depth to it. and some. Uh, give me the old songs. Amen. I believe in King James Bible only. But I believe in good old hymns too. And I'm not saying... I don't believe in some of the uh, contemporary songs, and that means not contemporary music, but that they've been written in the last 20 years. Uh, some of them are good, but I'll just stay with the old paths. Amen. Fanny J. Crosby, you can't beat her. Amen. What good songs, but uh, that's a good one right there. All right, Mark chapter 15. I will not preach long since we had the Lord's Supper. I usually try to keep it down to 45, 50 minutes, but um, uh, Brother uh, Ken wanted me to remind you to tell tell people at the gate, that you are from Whitfield Baptist Church and you're working in the uh, Amazing Grace booth and you might get in free. If you do not get in free, we'll reimburse you and buy you a corn dog. Amen? Say amen right there now. Hey, Bear's got the best corn dogs in the whole world. Amen? If you can just drain the grease out of them, they're delicious. Amen? But anyway, uh, but uh, we'll buy you a free corn dog. Amen? Thank God, I know that y'all gonna y'all gonna storm over there now, Amen. And I want to tell you something: we'll plant the seed and let God give the increase. We're not high pressure evangelists. Uh, I don't believe in that stuff, but I do believe in planting the seed and letting God work on them. Wouldn't it be great somebody go to the fair looking for a, a fling or looking for a, a Ferris wheel and come back with the Ferris of ten thousand to get saved? Wouldn't that be a blessing, Amen? And they could. Mark chapter fifteen. If you'll stand all the word of God. I'm just going to read a couple of verses, and I'll try to cover more verses than I did this morning. But I want you to look at um, uh, verse 20 again in Mark chapter 15, and, uh, and I want you to notice the words uh, there. It says, and when they had mocked him, they took, off, took the purple from him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. And they compelled one Simon Serena who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. J.R. Faulkner's middle name was Rufus, I found out last, last time I preached this. And they bring him into the place called Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of the skull. They gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. When they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what, whatever man should take. And it was about the third hour, and they crucified him. And a superscription uh, of his accusation was written o over the king of the Jews. And when he had crucified the two thieves, one on the right hand, the other on the left hand, and the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou... Thou that destroyeth the temple and buildeth in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. And likewise, also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves, 
with the scribes. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. And let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that he may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by, when they heard it, uh, said, Beholding, he calleth Elijah. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar, and put it upon a reed, and gave him to drink, saying, Let, let, let alone, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice, and gave up the ghost. And the veil in the temple was rent, Twain from top to bottom, and when the centurion which stood over against him saw that, saw that he so cried and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you for the cross, excruciating place, a place that's a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the, to the uh, uh, Greeks. But God, the power and wisdom of salvation to all that believe. Lord, thank you, dear God, for the victory that was won at Calvary. And thank you, dear God, for this passage of Scripture that we can look back to the cross and glory in the cross. But Lord, get a message from the cross. From Mark chapter 15, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I preached a little bit about the 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 23, about foolishness uh, and about... Uh, the, the stumbling block, which means scandal in the Greek, and the Jews, uh, the cross was just a scandal to them. And to the Greeks, uh, it was just foolishness. Uh, to where we get the word moron from. And, uh, but folks, the Bible says in verse 24, to the believer, it's the power unto salvation, it's the wisdom of God. And folks, the wisdom of God means this, you can't figure out Salvation, you can't trace him, you must trust him, and you can't understand how Jesus could take your place. But let me just say this, you need to trust it, and you need to believe it, because it's true. If you'll put your faith and trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And thank God you know you're saved. Number one, it's a message of torment. We went over that this morning. Um, uh, Isaiah 53 said he was bruised. And he was wounded for our transgressions. The Bible says in Isaiah 52, verse 14, that he was marred beyond recognition. It was astonishing how, how he was mutilated from the scourging and the beating and the spit and the, the plucked beard and the crown of thorns driven into his skull. And why should he endure such pain and agony? One reason, he loves you and he loves me. Thank God, God commended his love towards us, and while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why don't you see, secondly, that I get to this morning, the, the message of tragedy. In verse 26, we see the crowd around the cross. And I preached many messages over the 46 years that I preached on the crowd around the cross. I hope you're in the right crowd. Matter of fact, I hope you're not in a crowd. I hope you're in a congregation of believers tonight. And that you've been blessed by the Lord's Supper and blessed by the music. What a beautiful uh, worship time we've had and I don't apologize for the word worship because we ought to give him worth amen he's worthy because of what he did but these hungry vultures flocked around him like a bunch of vultures in verse 26 of Mark chapter 15 the Bible says this 
uh, it says, and the superscription was, uh, of accusation was written, the king of the Jews. And uh, immediately after that, it says, they, uh, uh, and with them they crucified two thieves. And the Bible begins to uh, tell us back in verse 20, they mocked him. It means they were playing a game around the cross. And then verse 29, look at verse 29. The Bible uses a strong word. It says, and they passed by, railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyeth the temple and buildeth it in three days. Folks, the rail means to blaspheme, to say evil things about that person. They wagged their head. Uh, they wouldn't look him in the eye. Folks, I'll tell you what, it, it really gets under my skin when people won't look you in the eye when you're talking to them. Or you say something in kind rebuke and they wag their heads like, I'm not going to listen. You ever had somebody just shake their head at you like, uh, you don't know what you're talking about and I'm not going to take that. Well, that's exactly the attitude of these wagging head, uh, wagging, wagged, wagged heads, uh, reprobates telling him to come down from the cross and prove that he was God. He had to prove nothing. He is the Son of God. Say amen. You heard of bobbleheads. Here's wag, wag our heads. Amen. And I want to tell you something, folks. I see two crowds in this, in this cross. Look at verse 31 around the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking and saying among themselves with the scribes, he saved others, himself he cannot save. I want you to see the attitude of the Jews. Folks, he came to his own, John chapter 1, verse 11, and his own received him not. They could have received him and gave him the power to become the sons of God and be saved. And, 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 and he is the Messiah, and they're still looking for him over there in the Middle East. And folks, we see the rejection of his own people. That's hard, isn't it? It's hard to be rejected by your own family, by your own church. Many preachers have been rent off their church every 3.6 years. I don't know what the point six is about, but I know it's over a little over three years they run preachers off, railroad them out of town because they didn't like the color of the bus or the color of the carpet or the color of his hair that fell out or whatever. I don't know what they didn't like. But it's so, it's so, it's so sad today that people reject their own and they reject the man of God. And then secondly, I see another tragedy of the message of tragedy is that there's a, it shows the depravity of man that they'd wag their heads, rail upon him, mock him, spit upon him, beat him, pluck his beard out, crown him with a crown of thorns, put a purple robe on him, and mock him. And say, if you're king, tell us who hit you. It's found in Mark chapter 14. That's sad. <clears throat> I won't tell you what that shows. It's a tragedy of the depravity of man. I don't know if you got this or not, but we live in an anti-Christ spirit. In 1978, when I started this church, it was me and Jason, he was an eight-month-old baby, and my wife, that was it. Uh, people were more receptive. Now, yesterday, I asked Miss Connie, I said, how did it go? She says, we got the best neighbors in the world. I said, even the Muslims? She said, oh, yeah, she was very nice. I don't agree with anything they believe, and, and what they, but I'll tell you what, I want to reach them. I want to be a good neighbor. Amen? And I want to tell you something, friend. We can reach them through love. It's not through, we don't, we don't take our children and strap bombs on them. We strap the King James Bible and send them across the, across the seas, or the Bible across the seas and equip them with love. Amen? It did touch my heart when Luke was uh, 
uh, baptizing his first convert, and he was doing it with sign language. I was so proud of him. Hey, that was better than any three-pointer or any home run he's ever hit. And I've watched him hit some of those, too. He's quite an athlete. But I want to tell you something, friend. The only, the only dream you have for your kid is to be an Atlanta Brave. You've got problems. Come on. The only dream you have is to have some, some guy grow up in your ha- uh, and be a millionaire and probably go straight to hell because the money becomes his God. You've got a problem. But folks, you need to pray that your children grow up to be men of God and ladies of God that doesn't wag their head or disdain God, but respect God and love God. Say amen. I was going to preach on the family tonight and continue that series on breathing new life into your relationships. And I want to tell you something. I remember the time that uh, Lou Rossi was counseling and counseling and counseling this couple, and it just seemed like they wouldn't respond. And finally, he went back into the uh, back of the church in the drama practice room where they had all the uh, props, and he got, a, he got a cross, and he put it in the back of his truck. He had a big truck. Ford truck, you know, big one, you know, big one. And uh, he put that cross in the thing and he said, hey, listen, I can't counsel with you anymore. I got something that's going to solve your marriage problems. And he went down to the truck, marched up to the front door and said, I want you to put this cross in your living room for two weeks and it'll change your marriage. And that couple said, this preacher has flipped out. I'm going to go to Church of God where they have real visions or something. And, and uh, they did it. They said that it made a difference. Every time they went through the den, there was the cross. Every time they wanted to fuss and fight, there was the cross. Every time they wanted to be dishonest and accuse each other, there was the cross. And folks, we ought to practice the presence of God and the fear of God will change your home, amen? Where wisdom is, uh, folks, the, play, the, the Bible says your, your house is established and there's filled with precious and pleasant gifts. So if you want to... If you want to have some good marriage counseling, bring the cross home. Bring Jesus home. Amen? And folks, your reaction to the cross reveals your condition of your heart. The reaction to the cross reveals the condition of your heart. Then thirdly, not only do we see uh, a place, uh, a message of uh, torture, and we see a, a torment, a, mes- a message of tragedy, people rejecting Jesus when he came to love them, but we see a message of transfer. Look at verse 33, a message of transfer. What's the cross say? What's Jesus saying? What's he want to say to your heart tonight through the Holy Spirit speaking through the Word of God? It says, and when the sixth hour has come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And look at this now, verse 34, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Elola, Elola, Lamba Sabastani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by, when they heard it, said, Behold, he calleth Elijah. They're always worshiping these Old Testament prophets. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it uh, to, uh, on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see uh, whether Elijah will come to take him down. After man had done his best to ridicule and belittle the Lord, the Lord turns the lights on, or lights out. It becomes dark in the middle of the day for three hours. Folks, uh, it was almost like God said, you've mocked him enough. You've shamed him enough. He's naked on the cross after being beat. And through those hours of darkness, was, we, we understand in, in Isaiah chapter 53 and Psalms 22 that all the demons of hell bombarded his soul and he took on sin for you. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that he became sin for you, that you might be made the righteousness of God in him, 
in him. It's through Jesus. Jesus transferred, God transferred your sin to his account, to his heart, and transferred his righteousness to your heart. What an exchange. Say, man, you talk about exchange rate. What a gift that Jesus Christ on the cross took your sin, took your sin debt, and took your hell, for the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Somebody had to die, and Jesus took your death. And because he paid the sinner's debt, those who place their trust in him are saved and delivered from the debt they could never pay. I mean set free, praise God. And when the Lord looks at one of his redeemed children, he sees Jesus. He sees holiness. He sees righteousness. He sees the sinless, perfect Lamb of God. And folks, that's a wonderful, wonderful gift. Amen. Don't miss the message of the cross. Don't miss the message of the cross. For whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Folks, he'll take away your sin. Look at uh, John 3.18. I know you know it, but you just got to look at it. And I'll try not to be long tonight. John 3, 18. What a wonderful Lord's Supper. What a beautiful, wonderful peace and unity we have. You know, some churches really can't take the Lord's Supper because they're too busy bickering with each other and fighting with each other and jealous of each other. God help a church that can't get along in these last days. Souls are dying and going to hell, and we're picking teams and splitting and splattering. Thank God that's not happening here. If it is, let me know and I'll visit them tomorrow night and try to help them to get things right with God and right with each other. Folks, some people can't take the Lord's Supper because they've got so many, much animosity in their heart. John 3.18. John 3.18. You know 3.16, don't you? Well, look at 3.18. It says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. Amen? But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I'm so narrow-minded, a mosquito can land on my nose and knock both eyeballs out at the same time. I am narrow-minded when it comes to salvation. Say amen. Aren't you? Well, it's not many ways, but it's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way. Folks, the reason is he took your sin debt he paid it all. He paid it in full. And thank God for it. Look at uh, John 3, 36. The Bible says, He that believeth on the Son of God hath everlasting life. Would you just underline that, highlight it, or just shout? And then it says, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That's exactly what took place. That's exactly what took place at Calvary. The wrath of God. Let this cup pass from me. That was the cup of the wrath of God. That he was praying would pass from him. But he knew there was no other way. And he said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Thank God. Look at John 6, 37. John 6, 37. The Bible says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Amen. He won't cast you out. He's, he wants to save you a lot more than you want to be saved. Uh, dear soul, raise their hand, trembling with conviction this morning. Somebody needs to see her for Wednesday. Tell her about Jesus. I plan on doing that. But folks, listen, I want to tell you something. 
It was a message of transfer. He took your sin debt. He became sin for you who knew no sin. Then fourthly, it's a message of triumph. Look back in our text, Mark chapter 15, verse 37. Don't you love the word of God? And Jesus cried with a loud voice, and he gave up the ghost. And the veil in the temple was rent from uh, twain from the top to the bottom. Isn't that a, wasn't that a miracle? Boy, that ought to shook up, shook up all the priests and the uh, Jews and the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. I mean, the moment he says it is finished, it, it, the, the holies of holies, which nobody can enter except the high priest once a year after he sacrificed blood and presented the blood, it ripped from the top to the bottom. And it was well woven where no man could, could cut it. And it was a, a veil. Folks, that veil was open. And you know what that veil opening meant? It is finished. And he's not a victim. He was not a victim. He was a victor. It's, he didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. And folks, the death signaled the defeat of sin. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. Um, uh, the death sig signaled the defeat of sin and the defeat of Satan. The defeat of Satan. Uh, I love Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Look at it. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 about defeat of sin. Look at Romans 5, 12 real quick. The Bible says this. It said, Wherefore as by one man sinned into the world, that's your Adamic nature, you're, you inherited from Adam and Eve, you're a sinner. You're born a sinner. And folks, you're either a saved sinner or a lost sinner. And, it's, and you'll never be perfect. You'll never climb a ladder to heaven. Wherefore, as one man sinned into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed among all men, for that all have sinned. But praise God, friend, through one man's disobedience, or obedience, sin can be conquered. Through the second Adam, thank God, we can see that, uh, that yes, it passed by one man, one man. But thank the Lord. The Bible says in verse 1 of that chapter, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You were alienated. You were defeated. Uh, there was no way to you get back to God. And Jesus sent the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of man. John 1, 29. And so his death uh, signaled the defeat of Satan. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. It, 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 it signified the, uh, and signaled the defeat of sin, but also his death signaled the defeat of separation. Uh, Isaiah 59 2 says, Our sins have separated us from God. Amen. And folks, one day Jesus felt the separation on that cross and he cried, Elah, Elah, Lamba, Sabastana. Some people take that out of context as there, Jesus. Speaking in tongues. No, he was speaking in tongues. All right. It was a language which they understood and being interpreted, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? And folks, I want to tell you this, friend. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ has defeated separation. If it wasn't for the Lord, you'd be going to hell and be separated forever and ever and ever. I meant to read Romans 5.10 while I was there. If you're, if you're not energetic enough to go back there, I'll read it for you. But Romans 5.10 says this, For if when you were enemies, you were reconciled to God by the death 
of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Job said it this way. He's a daysman. He's our lawyer. He's our advocate. First uh, Timothy 2.5 says, There is only one mediator between us and God. Jesus Christ. Amen. Mary's not the mediator. She never has been, never will be. The Pope's not the mediator. There's no religion that's a mediator. There's no man that's a mediator. Only Christ Jesus can mediate you and bring you into union with Christ and God. He's the bridge and gap between God. The Bible says the death of Jesus uh, tore down the wall, the wall of the law, the wall of sin. And Thank God we have victory in Jesus. Oh, man, I tell you what. When I think about what you're going through, Brother Tommy, I think about the day my mother passed away and how God gave me strength just in uh, reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the last few verses. And it talks about the victory, the victory that was won at Calvary. The first solo I ever sung was behind that curtain right there. And Miss Inez made me sing a solo. Victory was won at Calvary. It was, it was a terrible rendition of it, but it was a great song, amen? Because victory was won at Calvary. We're not trying to get victory. We're not trying to manipulate for victory. We're not trying to maneuver for victory. We have victory. Thank God. And I like this verse, 1 Corinthians 15. It starts out with verse um, 55, 54. So when, when this corruptible shall put on incorruption and the mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass, saying that it is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? <laughs> Look at verse 56. This gets good. It says, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But here it is. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory was won at Calvary. Folks, listen, it's a, it's, a, it's a message of triumph. Don't feel sorry for Jesus. He did exactly what God said. He died in the perfect will of God. And you better pray to God you die there. Or you'll forever regret it. You'll forever regret it. But I want to give you, last but not least, the message of testimony. Look at verse 39. Back in Mark chapter 15, my time has come and gone. Mark chapter 15 and verse 39, the Bible says this. And when the centurion which stood over him against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. The cross of Jesus was much more than just suffering. The cross of Jesus is a place of a testimony. What is the testimony? It's the greatest decoration of the love of God for humanity there is. It's the greatest decoration of the love of God for all sinners. I got to read these two verses. 1 John chapter 4. We've been studying 1 John on Wednesday night. I received a real blessing. Please don't go to sleep on me. I know it's warm in here, but that's the way you ladies like it. Look at 1 John chapter 4 
verse 9 and 10. It says, and this was manifested the love of God towards us. I'll wait on you. We ain't, we ain't too hurry. We can't read more, one more verse. Praise God. Taco Bell will wait. Amen. And you'll stay up all night too. But anyway, that's all right. Look at this. 1 John 4, 9. I love this verse. And it says, and this was manifested the love of God towards us. Because God sent his only son into the world. He might, that we might live through him. Look at verse 10. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation, it took me five years to learn how to pronounce it, means a satisfying of God's justice. Somebody had to die. He took your hell. He took your death. And folks, it's the greatest work that's ever accomplished on this earth. It's Calvary. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, he helped one man and one family. When he healed the lepers, he delivered the demonic, opened the blind eyes and healed the disease, twisted bodies of many. He was helping that one person and that one family. When he fed the 5,000, he helped 5,000 men plus women and children. So it must have been about 15,000. Those women have always outnumbered us men when it comes to following Jesus. Amen. But when he died on the cross, Jesus made a difference in every one, every member of Adam's race. Every person, whosoever will, Calvinists, God help you if you think some predestined ordained for the foundation of the world will go to hell. No, folks, everybody's predestined to be like Jesus once you get saved. Romans 8, 28 and 29, good Sunday school lesson. Folks, he could, he, he could have saved himself, but he stayed on the cross to save you. His death was not in vain. Thank God the thief on the cross got saved. And thank God the military, pagan, hardened soldier got saved. And thank God his death made the difference in their lives. And let me just say this. His death, burial, and resurrection can make a difference in your life. Today, I want to ask you a question. What does the cross mean to you? What's the message from the cross that you ought to take? You ought to be like Simon and pick up your cross. That's not the rheumatism in your left knee. That's total identity. Sacrifice. Die to self. Get out of the crowd and get under the cross. Bear his name. Bear his shame if necessary. We got it easy in America, but some of the missionaries we talk to are going in a dangerous place called West Africa, infiltrated and infested with Muslims that will kill Christians in a second. And take, the, take their wife and take her off into the woods somewhere and never see her again. And children can be slain. They're going because they know that the only message that will help those slaves in those pits, Miss Nancy, is the cross. And how dare we sit in our, on our blessed assurance and our padded pews and never get out of this church and tell somebody about the cross. Folks, it ought to be the theme of our life. It ought to be the allegiance of our life. It ought to be the loyalty of our life. But it ought to be the love of our life. And it ought to be the, the laughter of our life. It ought to be the victory of our life. It ought to be the joy of our life. And you find 
Time to do what you love. You take off work, you sacrifice, you rearrange your whole life for what you want. But I want to tell you something. There's a time where we grow up spiritually and say, Dear God, I need to pick up the cross. I need to follow you, and I need to do what you want. Put you first. and Sacrifice for you. and Go out and tell the world the message of the cross. Oh, how deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That he would give his only son to make a wretch, a wretch, his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away. As wounds which marred the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, his wounds, his wounds, his wounds have paid my ransom. Father, use this message. May we stand. May we stand in awe that you stood for us, undeserving, a damning-natured sinner, sinners. You came to us when we couldn't come to you. Oh, what love. Oh, what a message from the cross. God, help us to gladly bear the cross, carry the cross, identify with the cross. God, we know the cross is only the symbol, the instrument to put the Lamb of God on that cross. And the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. Thank you, Lord. Use this message. God, help us. If there's anybody lost here, I pray they get saved. Come down this aisle and we'll show them in the Bible the message of Calvary, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the gospel. It's a power unto salvation. And God, we Christians, help us. God, help us. Put you first. God, help us to sacrifice our little recreation programs, our luxuries, our life, our leisure, our, our schedules. Because the cross set us free. And many are in bondage and many are dying and going to hell. And God help us to take the message of the gospel, the cross, to a lost and dying world. With every head bowed, every eye closed.